Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From 2018, he had just moved to Atlanta, Academy Award-winning actor Lou Gossett Jr. Let's go back 1983, the 55th Academy Awards held at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion, the category Best Supporting Actor. The winner is Lou Gossett Jr. You know, when you prepare a speech, it's no use because it's all gone. I tried to get my kid to come up here to share this with me. But there are some special people I would like to share this with. Specifically, tomorrow. Ah, that voice, the cadence, and of course, the movie was an officer and a gentleman. Oh, I don't need you. I don't need a Navy. I don't need anybody. Okay, Mayo, I see what you want. You said you wanted to meet me in private? You got it. The bluff hanger. Now! Move it. You move it. We ain't going there to talk, boy. Move! We ain't going there to talk, boy. Of course, that is Louis Gossett Jr. and Richard Gere. But that movie is just one among many within a storied career for my next guest. He now calls Atlanta his home, and he joins me in studio, Mr. Louis Gossett Jr. Welcome. Hey, how you doing? How are you, sir? All right. What's up, Atlanta? I'm here. <laughs> Watch out. Move over. Let's go back then to that to the calling, as I call it, because it was the calling of the theater mm. for you. How old were you? When uh, you realized that's what you wanted to do. It was within the year of my deciding, somebody decided for me. I'm a post-depression child. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I've I've written about this post-depression society in New York City, especially Brooklyn. And that post-depression child, uh, nobody had any money. Mm. So we had to do makeshift toys. Uh, We had one skate, the front part of the skate was on a two by four, and the back was on the back, and you put a box in front of it, that's your scooter. Third base was the Chevrolet on the left, and then the bat was a broomstick handle. Mm. And the girls had chalk and rope. And we were in seventh heaven. We had to, uh, we played together on a daily basis. And before the cell phones, there was old women in the kitchen, yeah, in the window. Mm-hmm. And it was very well behaved. And that desire and need of one another created a society. Mm. And out of that society came people like myself and uh, Barbara Streisand and Carol King and uh, Norman Lear and all the people, David Susskind, we took over. So one of those teachers who ran from a so-called blacklist, mm. Esther Skifava's blacklist, they changed their names and they all came to this particular place and I grew up with them and their children. So I'm not from a black neighborhood. I'm mm-hmm. from, I call it a very American neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So um, I uh, was the president of the junior high school and the president of the high school. And uh, I was the captain of the basketball team, baseball yeah. team. We all clung together like a malted milk, a mix. That sounds like America to me. 
It wasn't until I got out of New York and I sent to California, and they treated me very well in California, with mm-hmm. the exception of the, the police who handcuffed me to trees on that first day. Mm. Who do you think you are? And uh, So that's when my racism started. But up until then, the, the, the people who ran the business were my friends. Mm-hmm. Lou Wasserman and Abe Lassvogel from William Morris Agency, uh, Arthur Miller. We kind of hung out very much together. You had such an incredible body of work around theater when mm-hmm. you were transitioning to film. Mm-hmm. I know it's a different approach. I've talked yeah. to different. They said, but "Do you prefer one of the one of the?" Well, over I, the other? I, I prefer where I was born. I was born in theater, and yeah. that's where I learned it. Because uh, and then I studied with the the original people from the actor studio. Yeah, they took very good care of me and us. So I didn't decide to be a professional actor because it was so easy. It was a piece of cake. It was like a god shot. And I did good. You know, I had the money in my pocket. I could take care of my parents, my grandma's house. I had a pocket full of money until I got drafted to the New York Knickerbockers in 1959. But I had just signed with the Raisin and the Sun. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to see uh, if I would have made it. So I went up to the Catskills, and those young men were very desperate, fist fights. And so I stepped away. And went to, to uh, the theater. That's when I decided to stick. You with chose it. theater over a over, professional over violence. Yeah. yeah, I mean, basketball. the highest salary was one hundred twenty-eight thousand dollars a year. Look at it now. You know? <laughs> right. You know, so I had more money in my pocket than they had in the bank. <laughs> <laughs> How do you know when a, a role or a character is right for you? Well, one of the things you learn in the theater, an active studio, there's no role that's right. It's a role, and you make yourself right for the role. It gives you versatility. Versatility. So I've done things like a character from another planet. Yeah. And I played uh, uh, a marine, and I played the president of Egypt. Yeah. It's what is demanded. So you learn how to make yourself available for the character. What was it about Gunnery Sergeant Foley, an officer and a gentleman, that was? I didn't think I was ever going to get a part like that because I was up against all the other actors. And uh, yeah. I wouldn't mention his name, but there was, a, there was an actor that was paid off in lieu of hiring me. My agent, Ed Bundy, God rest his soul, I don't know what he said on telephone, but the track record of the Marines was 85% of those DIs were black. Mm-hmm. So whatever that standard is that the Marines came up with, the making of a man lied in the hands and the personal persona of the African-American Marine, the D.I. Was it taxing on your body because you had to prepare for that? Let, I went down be there six weeks. Before yeah. before you were Richard Gere in that fight? Yeah. Goodness. Well, there's a couple of stories about that because I trained. I trained. I, know. I trained before that on some, so I had the little martial arts training and other movies. But I went down to MCRD. It's called Marine Corps Recruitment Division, extension of, of Pendleton. I did everything but smoke the camels and drink the beer. I hung out with them. I did the dead man course, the wild man course. I did it all. Jumped out of, repelled. I did it all. And so, and I brought them some with me to work. So they had a, a thing with Richard wanted to be the star of the movie. He wanted to win the fight. And the Marine said, I'm, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. You no, can't no, no. win, brother. <laughs> Marine said, you want that to happen? We're going to tear the set down. As a matter of fact, we have a better idea. Why don't you just get out of the way and let them fight and see who wins? <laughs> <laughs> Were you hurt? Were either one of you slight, hurt? Slight hairline fracture of the rib yeah. and then dislocated his shoulder. Oh, Lord. Yeah. Are y'all still friends? I don't. We don't talk a lot. <laughs> we don't talk a lot, but there's a, a mutual respect. I, I want to go back to your family for a moment because in your Oscar speech, you mentioned your grandmother who lived to be 117 yeah. years old. Yeah, I have and a photograph said, of that. Yeah, you said her spirit, her spirit guided you. Yeah, and it guides me today. She's from Georgia. She was a slave. 
and I have a photograph of me at 17 and her at 115. Uh, so down in Watkinsville, Georgia, um, she only lied to me one time. She said, this is going to hurt me more than going to hurt you. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody in the room said, kind of identified with that statement for some reason. But uh, she uh, knew what was right what was wrong. Never went to school. Mm-hmm. Never knew how to count. But she saved lives with the poultices and, and hot wraps and whatever is in the, in the backyard and tree box. Has to be African stuff. And she saved life. She saved my life with uh, some yams. What do you my, mean? My temperature was up uh, rheumatic fever. Mm-hmm. My temperature was over 103, getting ready to be 104. She went out in the backyard and got something with yams and did something in the table and put the yam in a sock and put my foot in the sock and tied it up with some wax paper. And the next morning, I was my temperature was down. I can't describe what the yam looked like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you were okay. And I went to school. You know, you have worked with some outstanding creatives. You yourself are a titan in this industry. Let's just be really clear. Mm-hmm. You've inspired others. I have a surprise for you. And, and we purposely didn't let you hear the segment before. But earlier today, mm-hmm. I spoke with LeVar Burton. Oh, that's Kunta Kinte, Grits Dummy. And he sends this message. Lou, my father, brother, friend, man, you, Lou, <laughs> I love you. You embraced me so fiercely when we first met 42 (laughs) years ago. (laughs) And you are a guiding light and a shining example for me still. That's what he told me earlier. What do you think about that, Mr. Gossett? Oh, that's that's my boy. That's my Kunta Kinte. Um, I I, I got what I thought was the worst role in Roots. All the actors, James Earl Jones, they got all the, the... Thing I played what they thought was the Uncle Tom. There was no such thing. Fiddler. Yeah, yeah. There's no such thing. Yeah. So in investigating that, uh, I got very close to Lavar because mm-hmm. I was the first American for him to meet. Mm-hmm. So my best friend was Vic Morrow, who told him about changing his name from Toby to Kunta Kinte. Mm-hmm. And before we shot it, Vic came up to me and says, "Lou, I'm gonna have to apologize in advance." And I didn't know what he said. So now we start, and he's tied up. And say, your name is Toby Sayin'. And he said, no, it's Kunta Kinte. And the guy started whipping him. Mm-hmm. And I'm playing fiddler. I'm looking at LeVar. That's LeVar Burton. But that's Kunta Kinte. Mm-hmm. It started welling. So it's good for acting. And he got some stuff to you. And then finally, and Alex Haley told him about the same thing. So finally, after near the end of the scene, when LeVar is saying, all right, my name is Toby. And he cuts him down. I go up to him, and I start working on his wrists. Mm-hmm. And, and put him in my lap, and I said, what you man, what you call that, that white man calling you, uh, Toby? Kunta Kinti, that's who you are. That's who you always be. That's supposed to be the end. But all of a sudden, I looked at uh, look, Vic, and I said, there's going to be another day. You hear me? Mm-hmm. There's gonna be another, that was my line. He, he, there's more, because I, I asked him about the experience of working with you and others for the TV miniseries Roots, and he had a lot of good things to say because he was so young. He was yeah, he was from SC. He was a kid from SC. Take a listen to this. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was really, uh, you're absolutely right and spot on. I was embraced by um, those elders in the acting clan. My first day as a professional actor, Cicely Tyson played my mother. Maya Angelou played my grandmother. Lou, when we first met in Los Angeles, when, when we were filming our four Roots, he took me to his, his, his house in Malibu, California, to, to stay overnight just so we could spend a little time together. They embraced me as the new kid 
on the block, and they assumed that because I was there that I deserved to be there. And, and they schooled me mm. on what it meant to be a professional, on professional ethics, on decorum. Um, you pr- treat everyone with respect. You show up knowing your line. You know your lines. You know <laughs> <laughs> you're on time. These were the lessons they don't teach you in college at drama school. And they taught them to me, and, and, and I feel that it's my responsibility to turn right around and provide the same service. He, he yeah. owes a lot to you. Well, it's natural. Yeah. Like from my great-grandmama to me, from me to LeVar, from LeVar to his children, we're doing what is natural. And if we continue to do that natural thing, passing it over to the next generation, and it started with the first recorded civilization on the planet mm-hmm. at the foot of Mount Kilimanjaro. And with thousands of years before the explorer got there, we have studied animal husbandry, astronomy, uh, doctors, things, and um, the elders would pass it on to the next. And there was something for some, some, some to do for the maintenance of the tribe. So the first thing that we did back in those days, and I highly recommend that we do it again, is that whatever you come up with is for the benefit of the whole tribe. First thoughts on a daily basis. That's the salvation of the planet right now. It's not what's in it for me. It's what's in it for us. Well, um, wouldn't it be something if everyone thought that way? <laughs> well, well, I'm going to work on the next generation. I'm yeah. starting a curriculum, I hope, in the middle schools through my foundation that uh, some people get it. Because I'm a living example of that, as LeVar is now, mm-hmm. as a result of what I taught him and we taught him. And he's doing it to his children. And he's doing his reading rainbow thing. He's doing that natural thing so that nobody is left out. And that's the promise of America. Can you imagine doing anything else? Other no, than this, no, except uh, and I'm, I'm a pretty good grandpa. I spoil them though. Well, that's what you should do, though. Yeah, I spoil them. I spoil <laughs> them. I love them to death. You know. You are. You were excited when I spoke to you earlier. You were telling me about that you got to work with Miss Gladys Knight. Oh boy, yes. <laughs> we love Gladys. Oh boy. Around here. Oh man, yeah. She played my wife, and that's it'll be on Friday night, Hawaii Five O. Yeah. I think they're going to try and make a series out of that. Really? Yeah. You you you. You still have the passion for acting. Oh, what's, it's, it's not. There's no work. It yeah. has nothing to do with work. It has to do with uh, what you do. That's what, We all have something that we can't do without. Whether you do it for nothing, whether you do it, it's it's part of my system. There's no retirement for that. Now you've moved and to And it's it, better than working. That, well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> you have moved to Atlanta. You've been here how long now? Uh, about Fish a month, a little less than a month. Yeah? Yeah. Now- I'm always getting on Atlanta about finding some good barbecue places, and, mm-hmm. and we, we'll talk off record because I know there's some restaurants that you want to you want to check out. But what are you looking for in a good cuisine? A good cuisine? Well, I I, I outdid it because I went to This Is It and I ate everything they had, <laughs> and I got this this gout and stuff. So I have to do some of my juicing stuff for a couple yeah. of weeks. But you know, and I know, I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> but I want that in my home. Yeah. Uh, it's it's very familiar. Mm-hmm. We as a family did that. Thanksgiving is coming, so I need to be in somebody's home and sit there and watch the football game. Now you not now, Luke Gossett Jr. You're you're not telling me that you don't have a place to go for Thanksgiving. Oh, I got it. I've been invited. Okay, I was going to say because if you put that out there, I'll get an yeah. email saying he can come over here. Yeah, that's what I hear. He well, that's family. It's family yeah. time. Yeah, it's family. I'm home. I'm you're home. home. I'm home. When you think back to the first time you stepped on stage, and then the first time in front of a camera. Your approach, has it changed at all, your approach to your craft? Well, it's a, it's a, I speak about the two philosophies. The one that you are lured into, 
uh, about um, what's what's good and you know you you're astronomical and you have to be very uh, exclusive. Mm-hmm. And the one I had to learn from grandma. Mm. So whenever I learned the one from grandma, everything was okay. When it's the other one was selfish, it was not. Can you clear up if this is a rumor or not? I was told you turned down the role of Hannibal Lecter in Silence of the Lambs because you were concerned about the perception of African-American man being a cannibal. cannibal. Yeah. That you turned down that role? That was a big mistake. Because so today, if I'd offered a room, I'd eat everybody in the room. <laughs> <laughs> It's just a part. Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> the older years. Yes, ma'am. Boy. I want to be a James Bond villain. <laughs> you've never mind. really been a villain, though. You've a little been, bit here and there. Yeah, you know. but not a... You've yeah. been the... Now, when you were on the Jeffersons chasing Weezy oh, well, around... Yeah, that's a kind of villain. <laughs> <laughs> Even in Enemy Mind, how tough was the role for that? Because I love Enemy six-hour makeup. Yeah. And everybody had turned it down. They are getting ready to table the process because they couldn't find an actor to play the part. So I put my hand up, and my, my late Ed Bundy was my best friend also. Yeah. So six hours of makeup, right? And then, uh, so that's so I show up on the set at 3 o'clock in the morning, and mm-hmm. we're going to go to work at 8 o'clock in the morning. And so after about a month with the first director in Iceland, mm-hmm. near that volcano that interrupted the air traffic, I was getting a little rash because I look like a serpent. If you haven't seen the movie, yeah. I'm like a serpent with lizard skin, mm-hmm. the two eyes and snake eyes. And funny teeth, right? So I said, maybe I should get some ointment mm-hmm. because I'll get a big sore. So I couldn't find nobody. So they finally found this freshman, this little girl in med school in, in Reykjavik at Ireland and put her in a helicopter. They didn't tell her nothing. And this poor girl sitting there in my dressing room. I come out looking like I like this. Right? <laughs> She's like, Hi, Doc, I'm doing with the skin problem. <laughs> <laughs> they had to catch her halfway down the mountain. <laughs> she took off running. But there's very little... Narrative dialogue in that movie. A very little bit, and he spoke. You know, you still got it. Yeah, see, most of the planet was uh, underwater. Yeah. So when he meditated, it was when he's angry. It was nice fun. It was fun. <laughs> I'll do it again. <laughs> Mr. Lou Gossett Jr. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much for coming in and spending some time with me. And you, of course, are more than welcome to come back. I'll be back. I'll, I'll bring you some some barbecue. See, there we go. <laughs> and we can work on that script. Hannibal Lecter, the... Yeah, the barbecue can. The barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tony Hopkins is a good friend, so... Anthony Hopkins is a great him. actor, yeah. too. Yes, he is, yeah. Thank you so much. Ah, lovely conversation with Mr. Lou Gossett Jr. from our Listener Favorites archives. And, and I got to tell you this story real quick. When I was talking to LeVar Burton, and he's talking about Lou... And I got emotional because he's so right about how we need to acknowledge and, and embrace our elders. It's just moments like that. You just can't, you don't expect them. You know, it, it just happens. And, and it's just, you know, it's what we do here. Sometimes emotions take over, you know. And people say, you're a journalist. That's what the emotional. Well, I, I can't help it. It's Lou Gossett Jr. and LeVar Burden. So. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. 
Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.